You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Herald be thy name. Did you hear it? When we prayed the Lord's Prayer? Well, Ray didn't say that, but many children mishear the phrase, Hallowed be thy name, in the Lord's Prayer. And they're often quite disappointed to find out that God's name is not Harold. It's a nice name. Often when kids uh, don't understand something, they pick uh, things out of their own vocabulary or experience um, and substitute it in. As a kindergartner, I remember saying the Pledge of Allegiance every day. And I did this under the leadership of our principal um, over a very scratchy PA system. It was terrifying. It was terrifying for because about two years I thought that we were invoking witches. And to the Republic, for witches stand. <laughs> That's what I heard. I don't know where I got this. It might have been, you know, some exposure to early American history and the Salem witch trials. Uh, I don't know. But in any case, at that moment of the Pledge of Allegiance, uh, being a young follower of Christ, I would go silent. I was appalled that we would acknowledge witches in our pledge to the flag. And so to make up for this terrible statement, I would rejoin the recitation by belting out, One nation under God. Well, this is a humorous example, but really how we hear something is important. It informs our behavior. How we hear is the key to our relationships, uh, to our life, to learning. And disparities uh, in hearing are usually at the heart of most conflict. A lot of what comes between us is what we think we hear. Or what we want to hear, or don't hear, or can't hear, or when we don't feel heard. What we hear and understand guides our response. This fall, we're looking at turning points in Luke's gospel, stories of transformation, of response to God's action. And last week, we looked at two people who responded very differently to Jesus. A woman, on the one hand, who lavishes love and gratitude, who is at Jesus' feet, weeping. And then on the other hand, a Pharisee, Simon, who although he invites Jesus over, he just can't get close to him. He just can't go much further than that. And this week is also about response through how one hears. So, no pressure, but hear well today. And not necessarily to what I am saying, but to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray just that. That we would be attentive to the voice of your Spirit in our lives this day and beyond. Amen. Well, today we get to hear another one of the stories Jesus told, a parable. 
Jesus tells a lot of stories that illustrate the kingdom of God. Stories that invite us towards transformation. To turn and see the kingdom of God. To see ourselves and our world in a different and clearer perspective. And to change us. Our story is agricultural. It's the parable of the sower. And it was told by Jesus as a large crowd is gathering, comprised of people from various towns who are following him. And so I invite you now to grab your Bible or the Pew Bible, and let's stand, and let's read and hear a story that Jesus told. You can find it on page 840. It's Luke chapter 8. And we'll pick it up at verse 5 through verse 8. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell on the path and was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered for lack of moisture. Some fell among thorns. And the thorns grew with it and choked it. Some fell into good soil, and when it grew, it produced a hundredfold. As he said this, he called out, Let anyone with ears to hear listen. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Please be seated. Well, on the surface, this story is pretty straightforward. It's about a a farmer who had a job to do, to plant. Although he does not plant with much precision, he casts the seed wide and perhaps carelessly or abundantly with abandonment, however you choose to look at it. It goes all over. No special planting practices are invoked. Jesus describes this story, this scene, to an agrarian audience. And what he describes is a familiar process called broadcasting. Taking handfuls of seed and casting it to the wind, as opposed to planting the seed directly into prepared soil. And this method of planting was widely used in early agriculture particularly in hilly regions like Galilee, where rocks lay just beneath the surface, rocks that could uh, severely damage cast iron plows. And so Mediterranean grain farmers simply scattered seed across the fields as they walked. And of course, some would be lost to uncontrollable circumstances. Birds, uh, weeds, Hard ground, lack of moisture, but there was always enough to ensure a good harvest. So what Jesus describes would be in keeping with the farming culture. The farmers would be nodding their heads. The story would be credible in their eyes. Some seed would be carried away by the birds or trampled on, as in the case of the first. Some seed would sprout up, but maybe not make it because of rocks or thorns, and some would grow and produce. But it's the end of the parable that the crowd might find a little puzzling. The hundredfold yield of crop 
is greatly exaggerated from their common experience. In their experience, a, a tenfold yield would be pretty good, but a hundredfold, that would be almost unheard of, miraculous. And at the end of the story, Jesus proclaims, let anyone with ears to hear listen. Jesus signals for us and for his audience that this is going to require reflection and hearing, which really is the nature of a parable, isn't it? A parable takes um, and uses the obvious to shed light on what might be difficult to understand. And even the disciples, who at this point had been following Jesus around for a while, might have sort of scratched your head and said, oh, okay, Jesus, what did that one mean? Well, listen to what Jesus says. Then his disciples asked what this parable meant. And he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but to others I speak in parables, so that looking they may not perceive, and listening they may not understand. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones on the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. The ones on the rocks are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe only for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. As for what fell among the thorns, these are the ones who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. But as for that in the good soil, these are the ones who, when they hear the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patient endurance. Well, before he explains the parable, Jesus first uh, describes two groups of hearers. One who hears and receives insight into the kingdom and another group who doesn't. To them, it remains a parabolic riddle. And he quotes Isaiah 6. Now, I don't believe that he is necessarily passing judgment on those who can't hear or creating insurmountable barriers between the two groups. Rather, Jesus is really just describing the way things are. Perhaps even the way he's experienced things as he has gone along and preached the word. Some grasp the good news and some don't. And then in Jesus' explanation of the parable, he allegorizes the story. And so the seed is the word of God. And the soil becomes illustrative of how people receive or hear the word of God. Perhaps even descriptive of various folks that are in that crowd. So in his explanation, the focus shifts a bit from the sower to the soil as Jesus elaborates on the reception of the seed. And it seems very helpful, and it is. But this shift also creates a bit of a shaky tension for us. Here's the trouble. Is this the parable of the sower or the soils? 
How did you just hear it? Especially as you heard the interpretation. Is it more about us, the soil, or God, the sower? And as we explore this tension, we discover this parable holds some complexities in relationship to our hearing and how we hear it. Because how we hear this parable and interpret it affects how we live. We live in a world where we are bombarded each day with messages that tell us how to live life. In sound bites and Twitters, media, marketing, information is all around us. We are in the information age. And there is a lot of noise in our lives. Not just we hear what we are actually hearing, but things that vie for emotional, mental, spiritual space. And especially things that, in this culture, vie for our attention as consumers. Carpe diem. Be all that you can be. Have it your way. You deserve a break today. Obey your thirst. Are you in good hands? Go green. Go big. Just do it. Do the do. Do the puyallup. (laughs) And each day in the midst of all this noise, we make decisions on what we will hear and what we will follow. Maybe you have resonated with the famous words of the Grinch when he says, One thing I can't stand is all the noise, 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 noise. Well, in the parable of the sower, Jesus describes the work of the gospel and the responses it involves. And so what do we do with this? What's our response to the message we hear? Well, I think, if you're like me, our natural tendency is to determine who we are in the parable. What kind of soil are we? Are we the ones who want to follow Jesus but just can't quite take a hold of him? We can't believe um, what we hear. And those promises that we hear are for someone else in our estimation. They are carried away by where the birds take them or they're trampled on. Or maybe we are among those who grab a hold of Jesus gladly, but we don't have the staying power. We buckle when we're challenged as to what we believe. Maybe we become distraught and angry and disillusioned by what we see in our world when we see wars and floods and other natural and human-generated disasters. And we might conclude there is no God or there is a God, but God really doesn't care. And we stop believing in his good purpose. Or maybe it isn't something we trip on. Maybe it's more progressive, an impediment that grows as we try to live as followers followers in our world. We live in a society that esteems very highly the accomplishments of human beings, a society that revels in its own pleasure and desires 
And we look to have God bless our plans and our purposes. Our excessive concern for earthly affairs and our misplaced priorities for the, the welfare, our own welfare, our own security, our own comfort, apart from God and the needs of our neighbor. And so we build our lives and we seek prosperity for God's glory. But that becomes our focus and the thorns grow. It gradually supplants the nourishment that we receive from God. And it's often not an intentional decision, sort of a misdirected focus on other things, even good things. And the weeds choke us out. Or are we the ones, the fortunate ones, who listen and hear carefully, whose hearts grasp the kingdom of God? We look for ourselves in this story. But when we do this, we often fail to look to and to trust God's work in our lives. And our focus is diverted. You see, rather than trusting God, when we focus on the soil, we shift our efforts to find a formula, something that will ensure that we are the good soil described. We might create metrics for our lives, ways to size up our spiritual condition. Our relationship with God increasingly becomes more one-sided, dependent upon us, rather than receiving the love of God, and trusting in the transformation of the Spirit, we create a world where it's about our action, our effort. And in doing this, we miss God's abundance as we try and take control and take the reins. Well, how do we break these impediments that we create and we trip over? These good intentions that ultimately keep us away from what God has for us. What's our hope? Well, why we worry and calculate and strive to become good soil for a good crop, God rescues us from ourselves. God being sovereign means it's not us, it's God. It's not the parable of the soil, it's the parable of the sower and his seed. It's about God's action in our world. God is the sower. God is the active one. And the soil, frankly, is more passive. Because God's action is so much greater than ours. And this is what turns the plot of our lives. We are transformed, thank goodness, not by our efforts, but by God's action in our lives. We just saw a premier example of it. Baptism. Baptism points to God's action on our behalf, that God is loving and forgiving and inviting us into his family before we can do anything, before we can respond. And parents present their children trusting in this truth, in this word and promise that God is the agent in their children's lives. And the parents' part 
is to hear it and believe it for themselves and to nurture then their children in this truth. They and we are to hold on to the word. The teaching of Jesus, and not only that, Jesus Christ himself. The message and the messenger, in this case, cannot be separated. John's gospel tells us that the word is God revealed, Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word, the seed, is not only the message, it's Jesus Christ himself generously given by God to us. God's acting on our behalf. And God the sower knows not all is going to yield fruit. But he sows everywhere and anyway. So generous and loving is God that God sows Jesus into our world, into our lives. And there's a yield. A significant crop, a hundredfold. And verse 8 describes it. Those who really hear the word and hold it fast in a good and honest heart and bear fruit with patient endurance, confident that the fruit will come, bearing up under pressure, hanging in there. It's about an earnest clinging to Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is intertwined and intermingled in our everyday lives. And from that, the fruit results over time. And that's an important point. Notice that the good soil, you don't know right away it's good soil. It's revealed over time when the fruit comes. After all, in this parable, in three of the four scenarios, a plant springs up, but only one is fruitful. But that does not mean that the good soil is completely pristine and safe. Not at all. I don't believe it was rock-free and free from birds and weed-free. I think all those things are there. It's just that the plants flourished in spite of it. The fruit came because of the work of the Spirit and the holding on to that. This parable does not teach us ten best practices to force a crop as much as we might like it to. It teaches us something quite different, perhaps something even more difficult. To trust and abide in the generous sower. And so the response is not a forcing and a striving, but a yielding to let the seed take root and do its work. Receiving the gift that the Holy Spirit gives us to hear and understand. What does it mean to hear Jesus? To grow in faith? How do we live with abundance? It means we take a risk. We take a risk. We abandon the temptation to negotiate a relationship with God through everything that we do. The temptation to live in a way that is prescriptive by a set of rules, because although this is well-intended, it leads to a treacherous path. As George pointed out last week, the Pharisees weren't bad people. 
They were hungry for God. They were religious reformers. But in encountering Jesus, it is revealed that some of them had moved too far on that side of prescriptive living, creating a checklist for life, living carefully and controlled lives with right living guarantees. And they miss the point. They miss Jesus. They miss a full relationship with God. Now, this really isn't a comforting word for those of us who like measured, outcome-oriented faith. Those of us who like to think that the fruit that comes from our lives is from our own efforts. It's uncomfortable sometimes to realize this. It doesn't jive with our more driven version of American Christianity, 10 steps to success, guaranteed success with God. But frankly, the kingdom of God shakes us up. It certainly is countercultural to the pattern of our world, but not only that, it's countercultural to sometimes our view of Christianity and our contained and calculated and boundaried understanding of who God is. God says nothing about taking precautions to minimize risk. God creates a new paradigm. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a sower who sows generously in our world and yields a miraculous crop. The kingdom of God is that shepherd who abandons his 99 sheep to go after just that one. When we are attentive, our souls recognize that this is the kingdom. And the seed of Jesus is sown in our hearts. And so we simply hold fast to the living word. Our lives don't have to be oriented toward achieving results, achieving fruit. God brings that about. There's not even an injunction here to go and be good soil. Because the soil produced not of its own effort, but because it is declared good by God and the farmer knows his business. The work of the sower and the agency of the seed is what bears the fruit. And it is the earnest desire of God that we will know that. Because frankly, to be fruitful is to have joy. Reaching fullness and maturity in relationship with Jesus. Abiding and trusting the love of Christ. We know a generous sower who has sown Jesus into our world. Everywhere. It's about that one act of God. The gift of Jesus. Not about the kinds of soil. Are we listening? Really listening? And are we hearing? At the end of the sermon, I'm going to have Joanne um, just play quietly for a little bit of time. She'll lead us into a hymn. But in that time, I just want to give a space to listen. To listen and be reoriented to seek God with who we are and what we're becoming. To listen and have the focus shift from the soil to God the sower. To pray that we 
in this day recognize what matters, that we recognize the kingdom of God with our ears and our eyes and our souls, and then when we encounter it, that we respond to it. Not worrying about getting our lives right, but listening and following the one who is life. Gracious God, open our ears. Help us to recognize your agency in our life. The work that you are doing and what you want to show us about your kingdom. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.